Same again today. Um, yeah, you guys are precious. I miss you all greatly. And uh, it's really so, so good to see you. All right, let's move on quickly. Otherwise, this isn't going to go far today. Oh, look at this place as well. I mean, the screens and it all looks so proper and professional and where's, where's the wooden pallets gone that we used to use as a stage? I notice now that you worship and you're not knocking into people when you're putting your hands up you've got a little bit more comfort in here which is very nice it's just it looks so good wow and that little ladder's gone in the corner remember that little thing I was very upset about that when I came in this week. I wanted to see that ladder. I want to just tell you something that happened before I jump in today. Um, I was at home in Kentucky, which is now home, and I'll fill you in a little bit about that in a minute. Um, and I got a phone call, and on my phone it came up with a phone number that said, Brandon, Mississippi. So I didn't know what was going on. Picked up the phone and it was Keith Ford. Anyone know Keith Ford? Tall Keith, lives down the road. He's originally from Mississippi. And his dad lives in Mississippi. And his dad was on the phone. And he said, Lee, says, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, I'm reading My Daily Bread. And he's talking about Cafe Rendezvous. <laughs> And I just had this moment where this little church <laughs> in Perival, the word has gone to the nations <laughs> about this place. I mean, you've got to think about that. That if you're doing what God calls you to do, sometimes it'll just go to neighbours and sometimes it'll go to the nations. You know that? And I was just like, man, Brandon, Mississippi, reading about this church here in Perivale. Isn't that amazing? You guys should be proud. This is a great church. <laughs> Alright, um, I suppose you want to update about what's going on. Um, I've still got my accent, just about. Thank goodness. Praise the Lord. Let me stop for a second and just say, this morning has felt like a normal Sunday morning. One, because Sonia's given me hassle the whole morning since I've arrived. Like, nothing's changed. I, I got up this morning, I was rushing, I was running late, I was still preparing a message. I thought, nothing's changed here today. <laughs> Actually, I went out with, uh, Bethany's been dragging me all over the country, and um, yesterday we did a family trip down to Brighton. And it was a really nice day, apart from the walk home when the heavens opened. And the day before, it was really wet, so my clothes got wet. I've got two pairs of jeans here, I thought, I need two pairs of jeans. So my pair of jeans got wet from the day before. So I was walking back yesterday, and of course, I'm soaked by the time we get to the car. And I get home, and you know, there was not enough time to wash and dry everything. I got back really late last night. So I was up this morning, I was spraying my jeans with Dettol, with uh, spray, 
So if I smell a little bit like a Wilco aisle, cleaning aisle today, that's the reason. But family, so let, let me tell you what's going on. Um, Amanda's really well. She's doing great. And we're doing great. And um, she is right now in working in marketing. She's still working with Tier Fund over here. So they, they wanted to keep her on, which is fantastic. And uh, she's also written a book that has been snapped up by uh, a mentor. She entered a competition where you um, submit your manuscript and it's put out to, to all these mentors that have had a book published or they're in the industry. And there was 3,500 submissions and she was one of 112 that were selected. So she has someone helping her write this book for the next four months. And, who knows what happened? Maybe she'll get me a private jet. I can come backwards and forwards all the time after that. If she, if she now, so, uh, but she's doing really well. We've moved into a house in Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where we're living. And it's uh, Kentucky's, Kentucky's kind of the middle. It's not the south. It's not the north. It's not the east. It's not the west. It's just right there in this little own, own little world. And, and Louisville's a really nice city. Um, there's no supply and demand, so you can pick up a house really easily and very cheap. I won't tell you how much it costs because I know how much you have to pay over here, uh, but it's certainly a lot cheaper than, than landing a place here. So that's that. And Kian is now six years old. And um, if you heard him, you would think he's a, a fully-fledged American. I've tried everything I can, uh, from English cartoons to everything, to maintain his heritage. and. Uh, I've been fighting a losing battle with what that one, let's say. I, I tried my best to maintain that, but he, he's doing well. He's in a school where he'll be there from kindergarten right through till he finishes at 18. Uh, so it's, it's a really good school. But when I saw the, the graduation of his class, it says 2031. And I had this moment of like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be old <laughs> when he finishes school. Uh, but he, he's loving it there. He's really settled well. We know the kids are adaptable, aren't they? They can just just land and, and do life wherever you put them. So he's doing well. And Bethany's doing great as well. So she's here studying media. She knows what she wants to do. And she's a jet setter. Her air miles are through the roof because she's backwards and forwards all the time. And I'm enjoying you know this eight days I'm having with her. We're, we're having a great time and, and making the most of it. So. Yeah, any questions before we move on? <laughs> you can ask me on. Alright, so what do I want to say to you today? This was a tough one to think up, I have to be honest, because I think I'm here for a day. What am I going to say to you? And what came to my mind was a message that Phil preached, probably about maybe a year before that word from 2000, probably in 2011. And we were at the school for the first time. And Phil pe preached a message, and it was all the things he had learned and experienced as a Christian. And I, I can't remember a word he said, but I remember it was really good. That's for one. <laughs> and secondly, secondly, I remember thinking, I wish I could preach a sermon like that. But the problem was I had nothing to say. <laughs> I think I've got something to say now. Amen. And don't get me wrong, we're on this journey of growing and learning and hearing 
from God. And it's continuous because he's conforming us to his image, right? That's not a one-time deal. This is a lifetime thing we are going to go through until we reach heaven, until we meet him face to face. We're going to be growing and learning. But with since I've left, there are some things that I have learned that have been so key to me. And I don't say that I've learned them just because I've left. God can teach you things at any time, any season. But I feel like these things are important. So I'm almost going to cram two years worth of sermons into 30 minutes. So bear with me. I've got 147 points that I want to rattle through with you guys this morning. I've got three. But I hope these things are helpful to you. And you know, we'll, we'll tie it all back into the Word of God so you know that it's all legal what I'm saying. All right. So the, the first thing that I've learned is that we're not that important. You might say, speak for yourself, Lee, I'm important. <laughs> you might be thinking, that's a depressing start. Is this, it's only going to go one way from here, okay? It's going it's to go up. I remember this story, and some of you might have heard this story, but that's okay, because I've heard that if you don't have new stories, you just need new, new friends. I, I can see lots of new faces here I've never seen before, so I'll just talk to them about this story. <laughs> but there was this story of this, um, this man at the airport, and he was at a gate, and the plane, the flight was delayed, and so everyone was getting a little frustrated, and everyone's there waiting around, and this man just kept going up to the, to the desk, and, what's happening? What's going on? Are you going to tell me when's this plane going to go? And the, the stewardess says, like, I'm very sorry, sir, we're, we're trying to find out everything we can about this flight, it's delayed, we're going to do our very best. And so 20 minutes goes by, he goes back again, and he says, you know, What's going on? I need to know what's happening. I've got somewhere to be. And, he, and he's just getting irate. And another 20 minutes later, he's back again. And finally, after an hour, he goes back. And he was really just, you know, red in the face, really angry. And he goes up to her. He says, what's happening? She says, sir, I'm very sorry. You've got no further news. And he said to her, do you know who I am? And with that, the lady picks up the tannoy and says, Ladies and gentlemen, we have a man at gate 47B who doesn't quite seem to know who he is. <laughs> Can we just say that he probably got brought down to earth a little bit with that? Not so important. If you've got your Bibles, come with me to John 6, verses 26 to 29. John chapter 6. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So this is what it says in John 6, 26 to 29. Jesus replied. Let me just give you some context. This is just after the feeding of the 5,000, after he's walked on water. And so here he is, and, and all these people, he's got a crowd that are gathered around him, and they're, they're asking him questions, and this is Jesus' response. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous science. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, listen to this, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. 
Isn't that a fascinating response from Jesus? Jesus, we know that there's a ton of work that needs to happen. We know we've seen you feed the 5,000. We've seen you uh, do miracle after miracle, heal the sick, cast out demons, you know, raise the dead. We've seen you do all these things. We know that there's lots and lots of work that needs to be done. What do you want us to do? Nothing. Just believe in me. I think they probably felt a little bit like that man at the airport. <laughs> maybe brought down to earth a little bit, a little bit of a bump that maybe I'm not that important. <laughs> Here's the thing, is there a place for work? Yeah, we know Jesus tells us to pray, right? Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We know that the disciples went out, they were healing the sick, they were casting out demons, they were raising the dead, they were doing the very things that Jesus was doing. But it was all about perspective. They didn't do it from a place of importance. And that is the key. Can I tell you that one of the most liberating truths that you will experience as a Christian, and it's something that I've experienced, is that actually I'm not that important. And when I say important, listen to me, I'm not talking about being valued. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about importance as being needed and required by God. Importance is being needed and required. Special is being wanted and desired. Can I say that you're more special than you are important? You're more special than you are important. I say this because I can only speak from my personal experience. And I probably put a lot of importance on what I was doing for God. And that's okay, as long as it's from a place of special. For example, I would preach, and if I would preach a sermon, and I thought that for some reason I hadn't nailed something down, or I missed one of my points, that's you guys might be in serious trouble because I didn't share that one thing that I was meant to say. And I would self-analyze and the enemy would go, well, you didn't say that and you should have said that. Now look, all these Christians are going to die of spiritual malnutrition because you have not <laughs> raised that one point that you were meant to raise. About a year after I left Hope, I spent some time, I worked with a Christian organization in London, which was great, and they provided medicine for those in need that couldn't get to it. So that was some of my experience with logistics. When I went to America, um, I had to apply for my green card. And when you apply for your green card, you're not allowed to work. You're in this time where you are, you're there, but until that is processed and gone through, you're not allowed to work legally. So it's an interesting place being on that side of it, and you're like, oh my gosh, God, who am I? <laughs> who am I? Because I've only ever known working and, and doing something and providing, and so here I am on the flip side. And I remember once I was out with my father-in-law, so I was just helping him with some projects, and I was out pr pressure washing this pool deck, and I had this moment of realisation where it was like, how did I go from the pulpit to the pressure washer? <laughs> and I thought, 
maybe I'm not that important. I mean, maybe part of me felt like in some way, you know, God's going to have to wrap up everything now because Lee Mia's not in ministry anymore. We should all be going back to glory. All of us, he's going to finish everything up and we can be done. But it was like a liberation because me pressure washing, God was still okay. Do you know that? The kingdom was still advancing. The church is still looking more and more like Jesus every day. You might, not, you might look around and go, I don't know about that. I can tell you it's happening because he says it's happening. And he always gets what he says is going to happen. Can I tell you what that means? It means now that everything I do, I do from a place of knowing that I don't have to make it happen. I do things from special and not important. I know that if I say something theologically off base, that Paul and Randolph, they're cleaning up the mess for me next week. Right? That's what you'll do, Paul. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> but listen, this is something, don't take it from me, this is what the great Reverend Billy Graham said. He was asked on an interview with Fox News, if you could do it all over again, what would you do? What would you do differently? And would you do it differently? This is what he said. He said, yes, I would do it differently. I would spend more time in prayer and meditation. I would be telling the Lord how much I loved him. And I would have taken on less speaking engagements. Isn't that interesting? Billy Graham. Maybe there was something in Billy Graham that he felt that he had to go everywhere and he had to do everything. He had to get this message out. And he gets to the end. And he's not negating his gifting. And, and don't hear me on that because I feel that everyone here has got something that God's put inside of them. And we all have a place where we should flow. And we have a place and we have a place in the body of Christ to minister. But I think he was saying, I wish I'd done it more from special than important. Do you know God says? It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you know that? It doesn't say it's your burden to receive it. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he wants your response to be as a son, not a servant, as a partner, not an owner, as special and not important. You feel burdened serving God? Maybe. I encourage you to do some pressure washing. Wash the pressure away. Know that if you stop serving, you stop ministering, that God is going to be okay. <laughs> now you're free to carry on serving and ministering. <laughs> Serve God knowing that you're special, but absolutely know that you're not important, okay? <laughs> the second thing I've learned, this may be a little bit more depressing than the first point, just to... <laughs> preface what I'm going to say. And also, if I say anything American, put your hand up, because I'm here to regain my English while I'm here, just so you know. Life can be painful. Anyone experience pain? If you're breathing, the answer is usually yes to that, to that question. Things happen in life that can hurt, that are difficult, that can cause you pain. And I will coin a good American term here. Sometimes life sucks, man. <laughs> life can be painful. And, and here is the really tough thing. It is other people who will cause you pain. Yeah. 
It could be something said to you. It could be an action against you. Someone wrongs you. It could be unkind words said about you physically. It could be an attack on your character, on your looks, your value, your worth. It could be slander. It could be betrayal. It could be deception. And if you haven't experienced any of that, can I say to you, you likely will. And that's not prophecy, it's just reality. The harder thing is, is that the pain inflicted will often come from those closest to you. Family, spouses, friends, colleagues. Those are the ones that stick because they're the relationships you value the most. The guy that cuts you up on the M25, you might have a few choice words for him until lunchtime. If you hold a grudge, maybe until dinner time. But then that's gone. It doesn't stick. And I think, actually, I know. Dealing with pain is an area I believe that Christians struggle with. I struggled with it, and from my experience, I know that others have struggled with it too. We can stuff things down and try and get on with our lives, try and numb the pain, try and forget, say to ourselves that we're okay and not actually deal with pain when it comes. One of the greatest deceptions I believe the enemy has against the church, against the believer, is that we have to be okay all the time. To be unaffected by what happens here on earth, yet we live here on earth. And there's, there's a good friend of mine in Kentucky, and he says, Lee, deception is very deceiving. <laughs> and my experience is that pain that is not processed is poisonous. It's a road that leads to deep bitterness, resentment, anger, and these things can be hard to dislodge if you don't process pain. If you stuff it down, you know what it's like? Has anyone ever tried to hold a ball underwater? Have you ever been to a swimming pool and hold, tried to hold a ball down? What happens? When you hold it down, it pops up somewhere else. I think that's what happens with pain. If we try and stuff it down, it, it, it looks like something else. It can come up as an addiction. It can come up as anger. It can come up as sickness sometimes. I'm not saying that's all the time, but it can show up in these ways. Can I tell you that around three years ago, I went through personal hell, and a lot of you know that. And sometimes I try to hold the ball underwater. <laughs> And what I have learned, and what I want you to know, is that life can be painful, but hear this, and this is the switch and the turn, that God is really good at healing pain. Amen. But here's the condition. It's a process you have to engage with. It's not a quick fix. We have that, that phrase, don't we, the time is a healer. I'll say to you, time is a healer, unless it's not. <laughs> time can be a healer depending on what you do with it. Otherwise, time can be a hindrance if you don't deal with pain properly. In order to move beyond pain, you actually have to move towards it. Ephesians 4.31. You guys want to come with me here? You all okay? Are we doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. 
in America, they say amen if they're not enjoying it, so you guys can say it. That's me here. Y'all. Okay. All right. Ephesians 4.31. Okay. This is what it says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's a, 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 just a wonderful verse there. One of the things that stood out to me in this season is the word get rid. It doesn't say push down. Get rid, get it out. Get, get out the pain. Get it, get it away. Get it away from you because otherwise the results are bitterness, anger, harsh words, resentment. Get rid of this stuff if you're feeling it. In... Um, in Louisville, Kentucky, in the summer, it gets tremendously hot. It's, you know, 35 to 40 degrees Celsius. I'm used to Fahrenheit now, so I would say 90 to 100. And one day I went out and I turned, because I'm English, we don't have air conditioning, we don't need it on, so I just turn it all off and I leave the house. And I came back home and it smelt like the Greenford Refuge. Because it was so hot and the rubbish stunk so bad. As they like to say out there, you need to take out the trash. Yes. I had to take it from the inside to the outside to actually get rid of that smell that was there. And I'll tell you this, and it's kind of a side note, I'll try and tie it in if I can, I probably won't be able to. But that one day where I knew I had to take the trash out because it smelled so, so bad, I walked round to the disposal, the rubbish disposal. It's not garbage, is it? it's rubbish. <laughs> I took it round there. And as I'm coming down, there's this man coming, and he's got two big bags. I've only got one bag. So I, was, I said to him, please, you go ahead, go first. And so he went, threw his rubbish down the chute, and then I didn't. He said to me, where are you from? And I, I couldn't clock anything from his accent. So I said, yeah, I'm from England and uh, you know, we're, I live here now. And, um, and he said, oh, whereabouts? And I said, London. And uh, he said, oh, I'm from Ricelip. <laughs> <laughs> this is not it. This has got a, a punchline that you're not going to believe. <laughs> he then turned and said to me, and I used to play for Brentford. <laughs> I lost it. I had a hero moment at a rubbish disposal in Louisville, Kentucky, with a man who was from Ricelip who played for Brentford. How can I tie this in? Good things happen when you take out the trash. Okay? <laughs> Good things happen when you take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> Move it from the inside to the out. Do you ever wonder how Jesus stayed so free from bitterness and resentment and all of these things? Because, and we can say, oh, that's easy, he was God. But he was also 100% man. <laughs> he experienced everything we experienced. And I saw something that he did and... 
it really just spoke to me about how you get healed from pain. And you don't have to come here, I, I just... I don't know what I'm going to do here. <laughs> Matthew 24, 42, I'm just going to read from that. It's when Jesus is in Gethsemane, and he's gone there with his disciples after the Last Supper. And we know Judas is coming to meet him with the guards to take him prisoner. And Jesus is praying, you know, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he said it again and again, right? That was his prayer three times. And then look what happens down in, if you want to look, Matthew 24, 45. He came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Do you know what I find fascinating? Jesus would always move towards the ones that caused him pain. He would see pain and he would engage it. It was the same with the cross, right? That's what he did. He was on there, forgive them for they know not what they do. He would always move towards what caused him pain. If someone's hurt you, one thing that we can say so often is, I can't forgive them. And I don't know if that's some of your experience. I felt a lot of that when I went through my stuff. Can I tell you what I've learned is that if my will says yes to his will, his power empowers you to do his will. And you might not feel it, but if you just say yes, like Jesus is like, listen, I don't want to go this way, but your will be done. If you say yes, then he empowers you to do his will. He empowers you to do the very thing that you can't do. And, and that's what it, it's all about, right? I mean, we can't trust an, a God of impossibilities if it's always possible for us. It's got to be outside of us sometimes in a way that we need him to show up, otherwise we're sunk. The way to get through pain is to say your will be done and he'll give you the grace to do the very thing you can't do. And, and tied into this, and one thing I've learned is that in order to process pain, in order to be healed, is that you need godly counsel. Proverbs 27, 6, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I think when it comes to healing, that there's many aspects of that. What I've learned is that you need people to walk beside you with empathy. And you need people to walk beside you with compassion. But you also need people to walk beside you with truth. And sometimes truth hurts. There's a time where you need someone to put their arm around you. And there's a time where you need someone to say, right, you need to get on with it now. Healing can be more painful than injury. <laughs> yeah. I remember Kean. he was out and he's a boy and he's five. And so he runs and does things that five-year-old boys were doing. And he was running down this, this street and not looking where he was going and smashed. <laughs> he's on the floor, his knee scraped. His, you know, it was a graze, it was a cut. 
And so here he is, and he comes in the house, and I said, I, I need to, let's go into the bathroom, I need to sort that out. So I take him into the bathroom, you know what, I get out, right, the antiseptic. That's coming out. Get the antiseptic, and just bang on his knee. And he looks at me, and lets out this screech. <laughs> like, Daddy, how could you hurt me like that? But it was for his benefit, right? That moment was more painful than the injury he initially sustained. But that was necessary for him to go on to full healing. He needed to experience that sharp pain in order to be free. I think often we want anaesthetic rather than antiseptic. I don't want to feel it. But sometimes you need that antiseptic, you need that sharp thing that actually hurts maybe in the moment, but long term breaks you free of the pain. This uh, same friend who said the deception, he's got a lot of good quotes, I quote him quite often. And he said to me, Lee, the, the truth will set you free, but it will usually tick you off first. The truth will set you free, but it's probably going to wind you up before that. <laughs> you need people to come alongside you with compassion, but you need people that tell you the truth. So life can be painful, God heals pain. My last point is, God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, come to Mark 4. This is our last passage. Are you guys okay? Are we doing okay? Yeah. 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 All right. Mark 4, 35 to 41. that pain stuff a minute, I'll, I'll say to you, the way I know that this stuff works is because I'm able to stand here with you today. Amen. Amen. And I need you to know that when I left, my heart was always here. And the reason that I couldn't come back or be in contact was because I wasn't in that place where I was able to manage that on my journey. So the reason I'm here and can be here today is because it's a testament to what God does. Amen. God is okay. So know that if you're in that place, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Alright, Mark 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, I know something. I know 
that Phil preached a message on this a little while ago. And I know that Phil made the very point I'm about to make, but I've already preached this once somewhere else, so now I'm using it for the second time. It's now my and Phil's point. You just need to know that. So as me and Phil would always say, listen, the disciples are in the boat, the swell rages up, they find themselves in trouble, they're freaking out, they wake up Jesus, he rebukes the storm, and then he turns and rebukes them. And we can look at that and think, is he rebuking them for not stopping the storm? That's not what the rebuke was for. The rebuke was actually for verse 35. Jesus said, let's cross to the other side of the lake. You know that God's intention was not to stop the storm they encountered, but it was for his word to sustain them through the storm. God is faithful in spite of you. He's, God, he's, in faith, he's faithful in spite of me. This is what I know. Sometimes I oscillate. I, I'm in the boat and I oscillate. I, sometimes I look like Jesus and sometimes I look like the disciples. Sometimes I'm trusting that he's faithful and sometimes I'm screaming and panicking and going absolutely crazy. Is anyone else there with me? Yes. I remember Chris Vallotton said uh, in, uh, you know, the poem Footprints. And it says at the end there, it says, you know, when you were in trouble, something like that. I can't remember the line exactly. It says, it was then that I carried you. And Chris Allison said from Bethel, he said, if you looked when I was in the sand, you would see drag marks. (laughs) Because I've been pulled along, kicking and screaming. When I left London to go to America, I remember 88 Devon Close down the road, and um, I remember shutting the door December 2016, and I thought, I've got absolutely nothing. No job, no house, I'm leaving everything I know, everyone I know. I said, the only thing I've got is you, Jesus. And can I tell you that it was a moment of Security, immediately followed by lots of fear. Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? What about friends, church, ministry? And, and, and it snowballs on until I'm dead in a ditch. Has anyone ever gone on those little journeys? You start with something and then there you are an hour later and you're, you're not even alive anymore. Um, God is faithful. Can I tell you that you're going to make it? You might say, I'm going through hell. I've been through hell. Someone said, it's destiny through the doorway, but it's hell in the hallway. (laughs) Does that sound true to anyone? Jesus could sleep because he trusted that God does what he says, because what he says is connected to who he is. Trusting in his word is trusting in his nature. On, uh, it was probably a year and a half ago now, I, I came over, and I'm, I'm nearly done, so you guys were almost at the end of it. I was flying back to Kentucky from here, and I flew from Gatwick, and I went on Wow Air. If you want to get somewhere alive, I don't recommend it. But, um, they're a budget airline, they're cheap, but 
Arrivals, not guaranteed. <laughs> um, and I remember getting to, on the way to the airport and there was a, an update from WOW saying severe weather in Iceland, uh, you know, possibility of delays. So I get to Gatwick expecting that the flight's going to be delayed or cancelled. And we're there and we're like, no, no, we're going. <laughs> we're going to Iceland. Because this plane stops in Iceland before it transfers to the US. And so we get on this plane, all of it is good until we start to descend into Reykjavik, Iceland. I look out the window and I can see the sea. <laughs> and I can see the sea. It is, you know, it is like what these disciples were in in the boat. And then, the pilot comes on the tannoy and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we are starting our descent into Reykjavik airport. And you need to know this is going to be a very, very bumpy ride. We'll have you on the ground shortly. As we start to go down, the plane is everywhere. I, I can't even tell you what it's like. The plane is going everywhere. People are freaking out all on this plane because... And we come into land. You know, you come in straight. We came in like this. And then as it was about to touch down, honestly, as it was about to touch down, it turned like that really quick just a touchdown to keep the aeroplane straight. I didn't know that pilot, but I had to have faith in his faith. I had to have faith in what he said was going to happen. Do you know that God is faithful? It means that he's full of faith. He's full of faith that he's able to complete the very words he's spoken over each of you. And he's going to do it in spite of your kicking and screaming. God is full of faith. Like the disciples, we need to go back to what Jesus said on the outset. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He completes the good work he starts. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And he wants us to trust that in the storm. One last story and then... We'll start. It's a Kean story, so you'll like that. It's... In America, they call football soccer. It's a problem I've had to learn to deal with. And one night we went to watch the team. They've got a team in Louisville City. And so we were going to watch the game, and the weather report was that there could be torrential downpour. And when it rains there, it rains. I mean, everything's on a scale of extremes. So when it's cold, it's cold. When it's hot, it's hot. When it rains, it rains. And so we turn up, and we're going to this game. We, we pull up in the car, and by the time we get to the, the stadium, we are drenched. I mean, we are soaking wet. We go in, and the pitch... It's just, it looks like a river. After about 20 minutes, they cancel the match, say, this isn't going to happen. Cancel the match. And everyone's waiting around inside, perhaps for the weather to die down. Maybe they know something we don't. I didn't know. So I said, Kim, we're going to go back to the car. So we're running, and as we're running to the car, which was a good 10-minute walk, the water's like up to there, and we're splashing in this, you know, we're just getting taken out. And we get to the car, and I said to Kian, all right, let's go home, bud. So we get in the car, and we're driving down, and my face is like this, up to the windscreen, because I can't see nothing. The, the rain is that heavy, it's like sheets, and as we're driving, we're hy- aquaplaning, not hydroplaning, we're aquaplaning. 
along these roads, we're on the motorway, and I'm going 25 miles an hour because I can't see anything. And Kian says to me, all right, Daddy, I'm going to have a nap. And I'm like, are you serious? We're going to die here, you know? We're out in this place, it's, it's raining, I can't see, I'm you know, scared for our lives. And Kian says, I'm going to nap. So I drive, I get home, I open the back door, I pick him up over my shoulder, walk him up to bed, put him to bed, he's, he's gone. How could he sleep? Do you know that he put more trust in the word of his dad than the storm that raged against him? That's what I'm learning. He's never going to let you down. Never going to let you go. Never going to turn away. Do you know how your story ends? It ends with you looking at Jesus face to face, into the eyes of your Saviour. That's your story. And I know that's my story. I know that's your story. I know that's Hope's story. I know I've given you a little bit of a medley, but he wants you to know that you're special. He wants you pain-free. I love what Gloria said about a heal. She wants her heel healed. <laughs> and you can trust that he is faithful to get you home. I know that's what's going to happen because I know that's what he says. Amen. God bless you all. Thank Amen. You. Dearest Lee, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart, God's word. Should this be turned off or did I? Oh, I don't know what that is.